This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 22, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. After a week of impeachment testimony in the House, where do things stand? How does the case for impeachment stack up? Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute and author of the new Cato paper, Indispensable Remedy, the Broad Scope of the Constitution's Impeachment Power. We spoke this week about recent testimony in the House. Given the testimony of the uh, ambassador to the European Union, how do you evaluate uh, the impeachment proceedings uh, as they have unfolded thus far? Well, we've had about a week of public testimony, and uh, I think it's uh, it's done at least two things uh, to uh, set uh, President Trump's defenders back on their heels. I think uh, what testimony we've had has dramatically undermined the argument that there was no quid pro quo and it was a perfect call. Uh, you know, we've had testimony from multiple national security and State Department officials that at least a state visit by uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine and uh, the release of uh, the $391 million in military aid were conditioned on uh, investigating Joe and Hunter Biden, or at least making a very public announcement of an investigation. And uh, on top of that, uh, the mere fact of uh, the public impeachment inquiry has uh, blown up some of the due process arguments that President Trump and some of his supporters were making initially. You remember, uh, you know, it was an impeachment inquiry in scare quotes because the full house hadn't voted and it was a kangaroo court and the president got uh, less protection than, in due process terms than a serial killer. Well, all of that has been, uh, has to go by the wayside. Uh, the full house did vote uh, to authorize an inquiry and that inquiry, uh, in that inquiry, the GOP has essentially the same rights that were granted to the minority party in the Nixon and Clinton inquiries. So uh, I think we've had to go on to different defenses of uh, what's at issue here. So what did uh, Gordon Sondland say, the uh, Trump's European Union ambassador? Well, he testified that there was an explicit quid pro quo with regard to the at least the state visit by the president of the Ukraine. Um, he said that everyone was in the loop on that, uh, including Secretary of State uh, Pompeo and Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, he did say, Sondland said that uh, Trump never told him directly in so many words that delivery of the military aid was con conditioned on announcing the Biden investigation. So uh, there's no smoking gun or stained dress uh, in the, as you had in the uh, Nixon and Clinton inquiries. Um, but we, we do know that the White House held up the aid. We don't have a good explanation for that and that President Trump was personally very interested in getting uh, an investigation of the Bidens. Uh, Sondland himself has some problems as a witness. He had to revise his earlier deposition to make it more consistent with the other testimony that uh, was saying that the that the existence of uh, you know that 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 the aid was being used for leverage was uh, 
widely understood uh, within the uh, officials working on uh, within the community of officials working on this. Um, and uh, he is the first uh, person with, uh, you know, one, another one of the complaints that that has been made uh, by uh, some of the Republicans on the committee is that you know this is most of the people we've heard from uh, have secondhand knowledge at best of uh, from President Trump. You know, they weren't in direct communication with him. Well, that's not true of Sondland. Um, and so I think some of his testimony was pretty damaging. It's also, uh, given the fact that, uh, the reason you're not having more testimony from people who talk directly with president Trump is because president Trump, uh, has basically ordered them, uh, not to testify, including, uh, John Bolton and, uh, Mick Mulvaney. Uh, Sondland, Sondland himself was testifying over Trump's objection. Uh, the the idea that uh, you know the caliber of witnesses is uh, you know should undermine uh, the inquiry. It, you know, it's kind of like the old joke about killing your parents and throwing yourself on the mercy of the court as an orphan. The reason we haven't had as many firsthand fact witnesses in this inquiry is because President Trump is trying to prevent them from testifying. And it's interesting. Some of the uh, Republicans on the committee were seem to be in some ways trying to hold that against Ambassador Sondland, that his testimony was weak, that he the things that he uh, presumed, he presumed uh, in, in some ways because he he didn't have access to a lot of the 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 papers that uh, the State Department won't release. Right. Well, it's never a good thing when you have to correct your testimony uh, uh, based on what other people have have said. But yes, he did point out that uh, he had difficulty ref- otherwise refreshing his memory uh, through contemporaneous uh, documentation that the State Department was not releasing for uh, to him. Um, so yeah, that that's a problem. So uh, let's assume that uh, the as of thir- as of uh, Thursday morning, Adam Schiff's version of events is basically true, uh, and the president did hold up this aid, this uh, duly uh, authorized aid by Congress. Uh, that it had met all of these requirements for having that aid released, and the president held it up in exchange for. A very specific thing, which was an announcement uh, uh, on a you know major network by President Zelensky of Ukraine that he would be initiating investigations into the Bidens. Uh, is that impeachable? Well, impeachment is uh, impeachable offenses are in a broad category, and uh, categories sort of summed up by Alexander Hamilton is abuse or violation of the public trust. And if you take what's alleged as uh, as true uh, for the purposes of argument, the allegation is that President Trump used the powers of the office to pressure a foreign government to help his reelection campaign. Um, and that, that is sort of right in the wheelhouse of impeachable offenses, uh, misuse of official power for self-dealing for corrupt purposes or personal gain. There's actually a fairly close parallel with one of the articles of impeachment that drove uh, President Nixon, who 
from office. You know, we usually think of Nixon as the impeach the paradigm of an impeachable president. And uh, you always have to point out here that he wasn't technically impeached. He quit before the full House could vote. But the uh, House Judiciary Committee did vote out three articles of impeachment. The second one of the second article that they voted on in July 1974 was uh, focused on abuse of power. And uh, the first item it listed was uh, the, the Nixon administration's attempts to order up IRS investigations on political opponents, including uh, people who worked for or supported his uh, opponent in the 1972 presidential election, uh, Senator George McGovern. Uh, you can draw a fairly tight comparison uh, between what uh, is alleged uh, to what President Trump is alleged to have done and what uh, Article 2 of the Nixon impeachment leads with. The GOP defenses uh, during uh, Ambassador Sondland's testimony seemed, uh, you know, in some ways odd. Uh, Jim Jordan uh, argued essentially because these things didn't occur, that is to say the White House meeting uh, with uh, President Zelensky and, and Donald Trump and the public announcement that there would be some sort of uh, investigation uh, of the Bidens uh, on, a, on, a, you know, on a major platform. Uh, and of course, the aid itself was released. Uh, people like Jim Jordan make the make the argument: there's nothing here. Nothing has practically been been altered. Everything has moved on swimmingly. So why are we even here talking about this? Uh, yeah, the argument is basically no harm, no foul. The aid got released. Uh, the announcement wasn't made. Uh, so yeah, what's the big deal? Uh, to answer that, you know, I think that involves a factual question and and a constitutional question. The factual question is what was behind the decision to release the aid uh, at the time that the White House releases it. Uh, the press is already onto the story that it may be being held up in order to force an investigation of the Bidens and. Uh, the White House is also aware that there's a whistleblower complaint out there. So um, if uh, Zelensky, uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine, ends up getting the aid and doesn't have to make the announcement because the scheme got exposed and imploded, uh, you know, it's not exactly what the president likes to call, President Trump likes to call total exoneration. Uh, so that that's the these are some of the factual questions that they're trying to unpack. Uh, as far as the legal constitutional question, that involves, you know, does an abuse of office actually have to be completed in order for it to be an impeachable offense or do attempts uh, at abuse of office count? And it seems to me that it's clear that, that attempts do count. Uh, if you go back to the... Uh, Article two of the Nixon impeachment that I mentioned a moment ago, uh, his attempt to quote unquote screw his political enemies with uh, IRS audits. Well, the audits that Nixon wanted didn't happen. Uh, his IRS commissioner wanted no part of it and just uh, you know refused to comply. It's still 
leads off in the uh, the line items in the abuse of power article of impeachment that the House Judiciary Committee cla- uh, passed. So it seems to me that's some indication that uh, you don't have to wait until uh, the abuse is actually completed to be talking about whether it's uh, impeachable. You know, it, so, some of this line of argument uh, gets actually embarrassing. There was a Wall Street Journal editorial at the end of October that was basically uh, the argument was more or less that the president is too incompetent to uh, to pull off any high crimes, and it seems to me that's not you know, really a uh, like a. It's a bit of an embarrassing defense. Um, you know, I'm sure President Trump is not crazy about uh, that line of argument, but it's also, uh, you know, it's not very comforting because uh, people can learn on the job. And if your your best defense of the the president is he tried to do something very wrong here, tried to abuse his office, but uh, don't worry because. You know, people don't always listen to him, and uh, he, he'll generally screw it up anyway. Uh, okay, the, but <laughs> that's not a, you know, it, it's not exactly an inspiring defense. So, what of the argument then from? Uh, and I, I believe I've heard Mick Mulvaney make this argument. I haven't heard Rand Paul make it, but I, I think he's made a similar assertion, which is quid pro quos uh, with respect to. Uh, foreign policy and foreign aid. These things happen all the time. Um, how did uh, Ambassador Sondland uh, address that? Well, I'm not sure he addressed that argument uh, uh, directly, but you know, Mulvaney and Rand Paul aren't aren't exactly wrong. The quid pro quos happen all the time. You know, it's not an abuse of office for the president to condition a state visit or foreign aid on say you know opening uh foreign markets to uh to uh US goods and services uh or for you know to condition it on intelligence sharing for counter counterterrorism purposes or or things of that nature you know these are legitimate foreign policy goals and if the president is using diplomatic uh powers uh as leverage uh, to further those ends, you know, that's thought to be in the interest of, uh, of the American people. Um, but I think we'd all recognize that, uh, you get into the territory of self-dealing, uh, and illegitimate purposes. If say, if we were talking about, you know, let's say on the call, uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, look into the Bidens. If it was, uh, you know, you could help me out if you could help me out with uh, getting permitted for uh, Trump Towers in Kiev, uh, you know, I think we, we'd all say that's beyond the pale. Uh, the question is, you know, what is the, the Biden investigation request? Is that more like uh, help us out with counterterrorism or is it more like, uh, you know, help out my business or help out my reelection? Uh, so that's a the answer to that seems pretty clear to me, but that's a decision people are going to have to make for themselves. So if you were uh, in place of Devin Nunez or Jim Jordan or one of these other Republicans on uh, the committee that is uh, taking this testimony, what would you 
be present as your best argument against impeachment? Well, you know, I would stop digging. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I I think uh, a lot of the arguments have been pretty frivolous. Uh, the whistleblower's biased. Uh, yeah, uh, that that's really not relevant. Uh, deep throat. Mark felt in the Nixon inquiry was was biased. He'd be pa- he'd been passed over for promotion. Linda Tripp, uh, a whistleblower of sorts in the uh, uh, you know Monica Lewinsky, uh, Bill Clinton impeachment, uh, certainly had her own biases. That that's really not at issue. That's you know what's at issue is what uh, the president did, and um, I. I I would definitely stop trying to uh, uh, echo the president's line that the the call was perfect, or that uh, you know he was really just trying to to drain the swamp in 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 the Ukraine. Uh, it seems to me that doesn't really pass the the straight face test. It's like saying you know Richard Nixon was really just interested in in pursuing tax evasion when he ordered McGovern staffers uh, audited. Um, it seems to me the best argument, and I don't know if it, if it would be useful, uh, if you're Devin Nunes, but, uh, the best arguments that I've seen made by, uh, some conservatives, uh, I think, uh, Jonah Goldberg and Tim Carney have, uh, have made this argument is more of a prudential argument that the, you know, the behavior shouldn't be defended. The request for investigation shouldn't be defended. Uh, but uh, that there's a prudential argument against impeachment. Uh, even if you, you, you know, I've seen people admit that this is at least arguably impeachable, but that uh, the president shouldn't be impeached for it. Um, you know, we're 10, we, by the time it's all wrapped up, uh, you know, at the Senate trial, the, uh, something like 10 months maybe from uh, the next election. And I've seen people say, that uh, it should be the closer you get to another election, the more you have another remedy uh, that's less disruptive, and uh, that that whether or not it's an impeachable offense, uh, the decision about uh, whether to retain President Trump for another four-year lease on the office. Uh, is something that should be made at the ballot box rather than in, in, in an impeachment trial in the Senate. And, you know, I, there are arguments against that, that line of thinking, but it seems to me that unlike a lot of the other uh, impeachment defenses that have been offered recently, it seems to me that this one is at least uh, intellectually respectable. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute and author of the Cato paper, Indispensable Remedy, the Broad Scope of the Constitution's Impeachment Power. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 